people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, it's so great to be back with Kidney Talk, Stephen. I mean, I, I'm I missed really you glad for a to week. be back because, you know, I went over to Liver Talk and it wasn't nearly as much fun. Oh, we're so happy that you're back in the kidney camp. We need you here. Oh, good. And now, what are we going to talk about today? Because, you know, we've, we've, we've covered a lot of subjects, but this one's very important and dear to my heart because I'm on hemodialysis. So, well, we're going to be talking about um, Fistula First and the initiative that the government is taking on to help patients make sure that they get the proper vascular access. Um, That is the most critical thing if you're going to start hemodialysis, to really understand which access and which one's the best. There's several accesses. We're going to be focusing on uh, vascular access today just to let the the public know that. You know, I know that was like one of the biggest decisions I had to make. You know, the doctor says, what kind of dialysis do you want? And I said, vanilla. You know, I I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, so and I and I find out there's there's the PD and there's hemo and there's home and there's all these kinds of different kinds of accesses. There's all kinds of accesses, um, all kinds of treatment modalities, and there's different type of accesses. There's catheters, there's fistulas, there's grafts, there's PD catheters. But today, we're really going to focus on the initiative of Fistula First and why it's important to have the right vascular access before you start dialysis. We are going to have two experts today from ESRD Network 18, Vicki Peters, the ESRD Special Projects Coordinator, and Lana Kacharova, the Quality Improvement Director. So we'll be right back with Vicki Peters and Lana. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that name. Well, now that I have mastered Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, how many pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick? Let's see what my next challenge will be. It's in here somewhere. Hmm. Say this three times fast. Fistula First feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula First feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula First feels fantastic for future fitness! Now if I only knew what that means. A fistula should be your first choice for your dialysis access. It says here, less infection and less hospitalizations. That's good. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Lasts longer. Some patients have had their fistula for more than 30 years? Oy. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. For more information, please visit fistulafirst.org. Do it now. for being here today. Thank you. Well, you know, one of the things I'd like you to just maybe go over is just go over some of the different accesses that patients have to choose from when they're on hemodialysis. Um, There is three most common vascular accesses used for hemodialysis. 
one and the first one and the best one we think is the fistula and we're going to talk a little bit more about it another one is the graft and the other one is the catheter they're all slightly different well the catheter i know is a lot of people have them when they just start and it's basically a line that's implanted into their jugular vein chest correct or neck, their yeah. chest neck mm-hmm. vein and uh, that's a way to get quick access That is for hemodialysis. It's but good it's for emergencies. That's what we want for emergencies if they come into the ER and they get a quick diagnosis of their failure. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when you get the fistula, it, it's not ready right away. I mean, they, they'll Correct. just do a fistula or, I don't know, do you have to wait for a graft too to get ready? Or? Yeah, some of the grafts, it takes at least a couple of weeks or more to, mm-hmm. to develop, and some are fairly, can use, be used fairly quickly. But the fistula, the earlier we get it in, because it does take development time, the better it is. And there's a lot of things that you can do once you have a fistula put in to make it work longer. Like there's certain exercises, right, mm-hmm. that you can do? That's correct. Absolutely, to develop the vascular axis. And usually doctors and nurses will tell the patient which exercises are better. But most of the time they use squeeze balls. Oh, they squeeze them and then it helps develop mm-hmm. the arm. Right. Wow. It's funny because I, I, I was doing meatballs and it just got a little messy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well... <laughs> You always leave me speechless, that's for sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, another access is the graft. And the graft is something that, you know, is is not the gold standard to what I'm understanding. There's a lot of studies that have come out that fistulas are the one thing that they can link to living a long life on dialysis because they can last. I, I know patients that have had fistulas for over 30 years. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, Lori. In fact, a couple of years ago, we did a contest trying to find a patient with a longer-lasting fistula in Southern California. And you know what? We were lucky to find a woman who has her fistula since August of 1971. Can you imagine that? Oh, oh my, my gosh. Can you have a, a new game show on NBC? Who has the best fistula? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that that would give deal or no deal a competing edge there. It could be you know? vascular access instead of Hollywood access. Right, I mean, exactly. there's a real, there's a real or potential. Or vascular there. access or no vascular access. <laughs> I mean, we could just go on and on. This is great. But a she, game show about vascular accesses. That's wonderful. So we'll get we'll get on that right away, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're just making me think. The next of us are salivating here. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that's amazing is that she's had her access for 31 years. And one of the things that I know from people that I've met, that it's one of the, the key factors, too, is learning how to, like, stick yourself for fistulas. Um, you can cannulate yourself. Learning some things that you can take care of your access. Now, wait a second. What does that mean, cannulate? I don't understand. Oh, I know. One. Cannulate. Stick yourself. <laughs> Oh, that means Well, you put your needles in yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to use the word cannulate, even though it's kind of a big word, but it's it doesn't sound as, as onerous or as threatening as sticking, which implies pain. And there actually are some techniques for fistulas that are only good for fistulas. You can't use them in grafts that actually reduce the pain in many patients. One is called a buttonhole technique or a same-site technique, which is interesting because normally we tell patients and nurses to rotate sites so that they don't have a, a, a weakness in the wall of the vessel. But this particular uh, particular method was developed actually in Europe, uh, and they, they didn't have a lot of extra needles and things to use, and they had a very small section of fistula. The doctor that developed it talked to us one time about it. 
And this, they found that because the body can heal itself, this one site, these two sites where they put the needles in, created little tracks, almost like a pierced earring. And when they could go and they found that they could use duller needles over time. They didn't have to use the sharp, pokey ones. They had the duller needles. And if they use this, develop this track very, very carefully, and it has to be done a certain way. But either patients and the staff members can put the needles in with which much less uh, discomfort and much less pain and fewer complications. Now, duller needles sounds like it would hurt more than sharper needles. <laughs> well, not when you have an open when you have an open track. It's just like I said, like a pierced earring. Haven't you ever had a pierced earring? Well, he, uh, he, he probably has it. <laughs> haven't you ever have pierced your ear? I have not had a pierced earring. Well, I have pierced parts of my body that we cannot talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same thing. I mean, you know, it doesn't hurt to put an earring in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and if you don't put an earring in for a while, it's a little bit of a pokey thing. It kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not as uncomfortable. So canalize? So, is that what it is? Cannulate. 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 So Can- it's better than saying sticking or jabbing or get that right. darn needle away from me. Yeah. It's a little less negative. We, we could say, can you relate? Can, Can you, you relate, relate to a needle being stuck in your arm? There you go. Perfect. Well, also, what are some of the things that you can do to help um, protect your fistula? I mean, there's a lot of things and, and ways to look for infection. I guess that's two questions. Yes. But what are some things that patients shouldn't do and they should do? Um Definitely, Lori. It is very important to protect your vascular access because it is your lifeline, literally. And... What do they have to do? Every morning, they should check their fistula site for signs of symptoms of infection. And most of the time, it is like redness. It's redness. So when they see sore. redness or soreness or swollen, then most of the time, it is signs of infection. And they have to talk to their nurses or doctors. And they also have to check whether fistula is working. So they should place two fingers on the fistula side and see if they're going to feel pulse kind of pulse sensation, which is called thrill. The thrill. You got to feel the thrill. Feel the thrill. Yeah. I haven't felt the thrill in 30 years. <laughs> we won't go there. We won't go there. It's a different okay. show. Oh, okay. We'll put that on the slate. Okay. <laughs> That's the dating show we did. I know. <laughs> and so, and then what are some of the things that, you know, I know that my access clotted once because I fell asleep on it. Yeah, we don't want to put pressure on it. Um, try not to have you know tight clothing or tight jewelry, anything that will impede the circulation on that side where the fistula is. And one thing that I know that is really easy to do is like you know you go to the grocery store and you just want to save that trip and you hang grocery bags on your access and both arms and that's really not good for it either. Right, right. And there should be instructions that would come uh, as part of the patient education when patients get this from their facilities and and the post-operative instructions that will help with that. You just got to remember because it does, you know, you Mm kind of take it for granted and you just forget. But it's, yeah, um, you know, having a vascular access that works is the most important element because, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I missed a Whitney Houston concert once because my access clotted. And I'll never forget that. I mean, I was in surgery instead of seeing Whitney Houston. Wow. That's a bummer. That's unfortunate. Now I'm speechless. Whitney Houston. Hey, that was a big deal. You know, a little while ago, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, another, you know, really important point for patients too, as far as as the as the, the fistula goes, is even before you get a fistula, one of the 
messages we try to get out to patients through this Fistula First project is to also save your vessels. When you know you have some kidney failure, mm-hmm. some of your lab work starts to show that, we really encourage patients to um, tell their doctors and tell the people in the hospital and tell people when they're trying to get blood uh, to try to save their veins, try to save their vessels, not constantly stick them. You know, try to put in some kind of device where they can pull blood out if they need to do lab tests frequently. That will, you know, won't be reusing that vessel constantly. Right. I know they, when I was getting blood tests before I went on dialysis, um, I would get my blood test in my hand. They would do it at the right. top of my hand. Good idea. Which actually I thought was going to be a lot more painful, but it, it wasn't as painful at all. That's pretty tough skin there. Yeah, and it was it was really good because I, I just remember when I was a teenager, my mother had leukemia, and I was the only one that matched her platelets, and then they were running out of veins for me, mm-hmm. and so they went to the forearm, but the top side of the forearm, and I, I just remembered as a teenager that that really hurt a lot. So when they said, get it out of the top of your hand, I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to hurt so much more than the middle of your arm, but it didn't. It, it Actually, I was really shocked, you know, that it didn't hurt. Also, too, it's really important, you know, not to have anybody take your blood pressure on your access. Yeah, perfect, yes. Um, you know, or, you know, draw blood or put a tourniquet on it. And sometimes you'll go into a, a healthcare environment and a fistula is a foreign term to them. They don't really understand it. So the patients listening need to really understand that this is their lifeline and they got to make sure that everybody knows that, that they're in control of it. Yeah, protect <laughs> it at all costs. When we come back, we'll talk more with Vicki and Lana about vascular access. Honey, we never go anywhere. What are you talking about? We just came back from the grocery store. I thought we had a great time squeezing the tomatoes and produce. I know someplace more exciting than squeezing tomatoes. The breakfast cereal aisle? The city of brotherly love. Oh, honey, I don't even like your brother. Philadelphia. Renal Support Network is holding their big national patient meeting. With you being on dialysis, I figure this would be a great place for us to mingle with other patients and healthcare professionals that are experiencing the same kind of challenges we do. There's going to be panelists from all over the country, hundreds of patients, fun, and even games. An illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. Tell me about it. It's this October 5th through the 7th in Philadelphia. They even will have dialysis services available for you for the trip. I think this is just perfect to help you empower yourself about decisions on your own care and treatments. What do you say? Well, let's see. A fun convention in a fun city with other people and healthcare professionals exchanging knowledge and ideas and giving us hope in living with my kidney disease with interesting speakers, activities, and even games. Or a trip to the half-price dented can section at the Food King. Hmm. For more information, call Renal Support Network at 818-543-0896 or go to their website at rsnhope.org. You know, on the fistula, everybody has their fistulas like in their arms and stuff. Can you have a fistula in your leg? 
Yes, that's some of the surgeons we work with. Uh, sometimes the patients have had a number of other accesses mm-hmm. throughout their dialysis, and they're literally running out of sites, uh, even with this vein mapping and, the, and the, you know, the, the tests they can do to try to mm-hmm. find vessels. If they can't find them or if they've been used up in, in other grafts and things, what they have to do is sometimes maybe go to the thigh, and there's even some new techniques that are being used by some of the surgeons around the country, uh, even some ankle-level fistulas, similar to the fistulas are doing in the wrists. So there's some experimentation out there when patients run out of, of upper arm vessels. We really don't want them to go to a catheter. The, the, the thigh is, is, and the leg is a better choice than a catheter. And I know when I was a, a young girl, they put an access in my right leg because I was so small so that my leg was larger than my arm. So I know a lot of the kids out there, that's what they use is their legs. And uh, yeah, it is. It's really interesting. I mean, you think about it, um, you know, if you don't have access to your blood, you can't get dialysis. So it is the most important element. And this whole government initiative, the Fistula First program, is really taking hold throughout the country. It's really exciting. Well, what is people... it? Now, tell me about this initiative again. Well, this was actually started as a part of the uh, end-stage renal disease network's contract with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to try to you know, improve the fistula rates around the country. Because all the studies for years, uh, all the medical studies have shown that it's the better access to have if you can have it. Now, not all patients are able to have it. They either mm-hmm. don't have the best vessels or they have some kind of vessel disease or some other kind of medical problem where they're not able to have it. And some patients simply don't want to have that surgery at that point in time, you know, that's that's an understanding too. But it's if you can have it, it's definitely the best thing to have. And uh, CMS, the Center for Medicaid Services, Medicare and Medicaid, found that with all the evidence that we really need to, there's a lot of barriers and a lot of issues out there. We need patient education. We need staff education. We need MD education. And we need a lot, we need to work together in a big coalition environment with all of the people, the patients at the table, the practitioners at the table, all the big provider organizations that have dialysis and the hospital clinics. Everybody needs to work together. And the government agencies that do the funding for a lot of this need to work together to get past all of the the barriers and the problems that keep patients from getting the best access they can. Well, also, and I know one of the biggest factors is educating the surgeons. Right. Because sometimes I've seen in the kidney community, we do one thing, but the surgeons aren't really connected in. I mean, you know, fistulas, and I learned this because I used to sell dialysis access equipment, is that the kidney patients aren't that glamorous to surgeons. I mean, it's really unfortunate, but we're not something that's really exciting. It's not an exciting surgery. It's the most impo- one of the most important surgeries, but to really get on their radar screen and let them know that, you know, what you choose today, because some surgeons decide to put in a graph instead of a fistula. And I think the patients really need to demand that a fistula be put in if, if, unless there's some reason that it can't be put in. Right. And the patients really need to demand that because this is going to affect their life oh, yeah. more than anybody. Well, the patients are always their best advocates. And one of the things we had to do with this project, and the reason you're probably hearing just about it now in some cases, is that before we went to the patients, we wanted to make sure that the practitioners and the surgeons and people were on board and had the system set up where when patients got to the point of going to their doctors and say, hey, I heard about this, can I have one, that they would be able to set them up and refer them right away and get them in and have it done. If the surgeons and the physicians weren't connected up earlier, that the patient could go in and ask all they wanted, and it probably wouldn't happen. So we've been working on the back end trying to get the practice 
environments all set up so that everyone's aware of this. Doctors, nephrologists are aware of the fact that they need to go to surgeons. One of our key points in this initiative is to make sure that the physicians use the best surgeons that can do this job for the patients, that do right. a good job. And, you know, you don't want the guy that you did for 30 yeah. years just because you know him. You know, or you, you want don't the guy. want the dentist to do it. Right. You know what's exactly. a great idea is that, you know, if you're in the dialysis unit and you might need a new access, I always suggest go find the patient who has the good access and ask who their surgeon was. Exactly. That's a great way to be able to... Oh, um, yeah find out who the good surgeon is. So, I mean, one of the things that I think that is is kind of complicated for some patients, there's really four types of vascular access. And see if, let me see if I can remember this. There's a temp- this is a test. This, this is, is a, a test. I'm, I'm t- testing myself. There's a temporary catheter, and that is a temporary catheter. It can be put in the bed or bedside for really emergency dialysis, um, which, you know, you're pretty much awake when they're putting it in you. And that's for quick access, and that shouldn't be that shouldn't stay in very long. That temporary catheter because it really runs the risk of getting it, infection. it's infection. Right. And um, the second one is a permanent catheter, and I think it's misleading because they say it's permanent, but it's not really permanent. They kind of call that an oxymoron. You exactly, be there. <laughs> but it's actually a catheter that they do in surgery, and they tunnel it under the skin, and and then mm-hmm. it's actually stays in the skin a little better. It's not just kind of sticking out of the skin. But does something yeah. stick out of your? Yes, yes it does, but it's actually under the skin. Um, so it's do like they have tunneled. to poke you through the needle? I mean, the no. needle through the skin to get it? To put no, it in. To just, put it in. Just to initially. put the catheter oh, in. Oh, just put it in, but yeah. not to use it. No, right. You okay. have extensions sticking out that okay. you connect. Yeah, you have extensions, but it's it's labeled a permanent catheter, but it's not really permanent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it just well, it can stay in a little bit easier because yeah. it's, it's tunneled under the skin. Patients really needs to be, they need to be educated about permanent catheter does not mean that it's a permanent, permanent. Yes. It can last for a little bit longer than temporary catheter because temporary catheters, we don't want them in a body for more than 90 days. Permanent catheter can stay a little bit longer than that, but still catheter is a catheter and you still have two pieces of plastic sticking out of your body. And every time it gets touched by something or it gets water on it, you have a chance to get infection. So we want catheters out. (laughs) Well, and the thing is, is that the permanent catheter is usually a bridge to your fistula becoming mature. Right. So that they can use it. That's the real yes. purpose of it. Yes, that's a best case scenario. That's how we want to see that. And then, then the second type of access is a graft. And a graft is um, actually it's a synthetic material, correct, made out of Gore-Tex, like the stuff mm-hmm. that you ski with. You know the ski material? I don't they ski. Actually, you, don't, you don't do much, do you? No, I sit and watch other people <laughs> ski. Let's put it this way. It's a piece of plastic. Yes, it's, it's a, a piece, piece of plastic. It's a piece of uh, fancy plastic that they connect your artery and vein to. And that is, those only last a couple of years. Isn't that correct? The on study the average, show? yes. Yeah. On the average. Only two years and then you have to redo it? Some people keep it maybe two or three or four. But yeah, grafts do not last. They are not designed to last and they don't because they are a foreign material and the body kind of starts going after them, you know. Mm. So you don't want to keep, it's better than a catheter because at least it's under the skin and not quite as subject to infection. But they won't last like a fistula will. Wow. And, and then, then of the, course, last the last one, one is fistulas. And I'm going to leave that one to you, Stephen. Well, the fistula, I had a fistula, and it was, uh, I did fistula first. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I did have to have the uh, temporary catheter, and uh, I didn't like it because I, you know, I couldn't shower, uh, right. get it wet, and so I had to use the handheld thing. And, and uh, at the same time, I had a broken foot, which I couldn't get the foot wet, so I could really only wash my stomach, and that was it. <laughs> 
people stayed away from me quite a bit. But you know, I had a vein mapping one time, Good. and it was it, it was so interesting because it, it was the exact replica of New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well, I, I mean, any other words of advice or something that you can uh, think that patients need to know, or maybe that they can talk to their healthcare professional, or some key tips in closing. Well, just kind of what we summarizing what we really mentioned in the conversation here, uh, trying to maintain and, and preserve your, your vessels when you do have medical procedures. Don't let everybody in the world stick them 100 times. Um, do go out and advocate for a fistula if free with your physicians and, you, and you have them find a good surgeon that will get you a good fistula that will hopefully last you a very long time. Um, check with your dialysis staff if you get to that point about uh, techniques like uh, the same site or the buttonhole technique that might be a little less uncomfortable than, you know, the rotating sites, uh, cannulation or sticking. And uh, I think anything else, Lana? I think that's... I just want to mention one last thing that uh, we understand because due to multiple medical conditions, not every single patient who's going to become a dialysis patient will be a good candidate to have a fistula. But every single patient has to advocate for themselves to be tested if they are a candidate. Like you mentioned about vessel mapping, that's the procedure to go with. So number one, please ask your physician to get you a vessel mapping. And that procedure will tell you whether you are a candidate or not. For the fistula. Right. And even if you have a graft, uh, grafts can sometimes develop vessels up above them uh, that there are would be very easy to transfer into a fistula. So even if you have a graft, you know it's going to be not lasting forever to begin with. And have the get the vessel mapping, like Lana said, get that done early, even before the graft starts to fail. So then when the graft goes out, you'll have vessels almost ready to go that right. they can transfer into you, a fistula. You really have to plan ahead. Right. In every aspect. Yes. I mean, you have to plan ahead ahead and be your own advocate. And, uh, Absolutely. Wow, this was really informative, and thank you so much, thank both you of so you, for much. coming in. You thank know, you. and uh, you came all the way from Russia to come in. And <laughs> fourteen years been... ago, yes. Oh, fourteen <laughs> years ago, I thought you just flew in. And, and also, we're going to have some information on our website about fistulas and accesses, and also fistulafirst.org. Right, is a website that has a lot of information for healthcare professionals, and you're going to be launching a new site for patients on it. We're going to be developing so a patient wonderful. site as we speak. That's and, wonderful. And just remind everybody that. They cannot go to their local AAA to get the vein mapping. Yes, no. They, they have no. to do it to the, through their no, doctor. That might be another good idea. Maybe we should propose to AAA to have a vein mapping. A triptych. Remember the triptychs? We could have, you know, we could oh, have a, one for vascular. We're getting silly, but well, oh well. anyway, thank you so much for coming in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank Thanks. you for inviting. Hi, I'm Aaron Kinsley, and I'm a kidney patient just like you. I had no idea I was on the road to end-stage renal failure. As we know, there really is no clear sign when your kidneys start to fail. So I urge you to tell your relatives and friends, especially those who are 65 and older, to get a simple blood test to see if they are at risk for kidney failure. The glomerular filtration rate, or GFR, will tell them how well their kidneys are functioning. If their kidneys are failing, you and their doctor can share the many different ways they can live with kidney disease. As we know, it's not fun to find out you have kidney disease. 
it's even less fun to die from it. Stephen. You know, Stephen? You always say, you know, see, I was listening to I them. I could say, you know, Mr. First. Oh, Would you rather that? No, it makes me sound a lot older. And, you know, I am quite young. Yes, you are. Yes. Young at heart, that's for sure. What an interesting and show that was. It was. And, you know, they brought so much information to us. And, and you know, you really got to take it to heart because... Uh, taking care of your vascular access is so important, making sure that, you know, you don't sleep on it or carry heavy objects, look for infection, look for the thrill, remember for the thrill. I'm still looking for the thrill, like I said. <laughs> I've been looking for the thrill for 30 years, but she didn't want to hear that. And and make sure that, you know, you, you think about self-cannulating or self-sticking. Self-sticking where it hurts a lot. Yes. And uh, just trying to figure out some ways that you can take care of yourself. And we're going to have some information on our website, as we said earlier earlier about uh, things that you can do. So, And what's the website again? It's rsnhope.org. rsnhope.org. Yes. For all, and, you can, and you know what? If anybody wants to write in and, and ask questions, we will yes. answer them on the air. Yes, you can uh, send us an email to kidneytalk at rsnhope.org. We love to hear your questions or thoughts for you know, future topics. What do you want Stephen and I talking about or interviewing somebody on? No personal questions, though, because, you know, <laughs> I, I draw the line at that. I'll tell you when you're when he's not listening. <laughs> well, thanks again to our, our wonderful guests and their names, Karacharova and... It's Vicki Peters and She should and be Lana, a gymnast. Don't you think she should Vicky be a gymnast? Vicki Peters, a gymnast. The Karacharova, that sounds oh, like Lana one of the... Lana Kacharova. Yeah, it does sound uh, like a... It, a it is a gold medal name, I do yes. have to say. It's like Martina Naratalova. No, yes, it's Something Russian. Like that. That's why. Rush. I knew I, I, I knew it was either Memphis or, or you know, Odessa, Russia. I knew it was one of the two. Thank you, everybody, and uh, please join us next time for Kidney Talk. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference.